Welcome to Talking In Stations. It's March 30th. I am Madderall here with Ashtarathi. Greetings, fellow Empyreans. I am Ashtarathi, and we have a lot to go over today, don't we? Yeah. First, we're going to do a little bit of news, and uh, we'll talk to Ash, who actually was on vacation last week, about some of the industrial changes, see what he thinks about those, and then he's going to lead you into the hunt. Yep, but before that, I do want to showcase what the awesome thing that's right behind me here. Uh, this is actually the new gate from Valor, or sorry, from Old Man Star, Star to Valor. Um, there's a chronicle called Old Man Star, which tells the story as to why the system is named Old Man Star. And because of that story, that's, that this gate has a very unique tale behind it. You can see the, the ruin of the ship there. And you can learn all about it by reading the Chronicle, uh, which I think Eve Reader has done. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, well, it you is, also did I'm very a, excited about it. It's still on Singularity, so I just wanted to show it off. You also did a reading, uh, Fireidian did a reading for your old podcast. Um, what's it called now? It's now an archive, right? The Lore Archive or something? Uh, oh, yeah. It's uh, <laughs> Know Your Lore Archive for uh, hydrosta uh, Hydrostatic Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> know Your Lore. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, yeah, so we, the Know Your Lore segments of the Hydrostatic Podcast was where Fyridian would, would take chronicles and he would literally just like teach me the chronicles. So if you want to hear me learn about the lore circa 2014 15, uh, you could do it still today. Uh, the archive still exists. But yeah, one of the things was is that even back then we 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 pushed CCP Fozzy for there to be a unique model to be put in, and he was like, "Yeah, that's a really cool idea. I'll see what I can do." And since then, every single time I have seen CCP Fozzy, I have made sure above you know along with everything else to bug him about this Stargate right here. Um, and you know, he gave me updates. And he's like, "Oh yeah, somebody you know picked it up and made some concept art that looks really cool," and you know whatever. But like. Here it is. It's finally oh. done. Five years of of me bugging CCP Fozzy and CCP Fozzy uh, going after it. And then uh, he he gave credit to who actually did it. And then I didn't look it up before I went. Hold on. Give me one second mm -hmm. and I will get that that's, for you. You can move on while okay. I look it up. I'll talk a little bit about Old Man Star. From what I remember, that's the original Stargate. Uh, so and the guy that created it got trapped. Mm -hmm. Uh, it is not the original Stargate. So, okay, I'll, I'll tell what a little I said bit about the story. Just a few seconds ago, and let Ashtarathi correct the record or read the yeah, uh, read the. So first of all, the CCP school bus is the guy who got the credit for, uh, or who CCP Fozzy gave credit to on Twitter for this beautiful uh, nice, model. Nice job, but art guy. Basically, the short of it is is that uh, a crew of people, in order to build these Stargates. They have to first send a group out to go build the other side, right? So so they send this expedition team out, and there's a navigational error. And when it comes out of hyperspace, it slams into an asteroid and kills most of the crew. And there's only one dude left. And so that dude uh, reprograms all the drones. He's, he happens to be the drone specialist of the team. And so he reprograms all the drones to, to work for him, keeps him alive for years and years and years. And single-handedly, with the help of his drones, he over time builds the stargate where it is uh, you know it needed to be and then dialed it in and turns it on and so as an old man he returns to the fe federation they thought he had died they thought the gate would never open again they had called it lost and here he comes back home to them and to celebrate it they renamed the system in his honor to old man star and uh fun fact that guy then went on to found 
a pretty significant Galente corporation uh, that specialized in drone technology known as Creodrone. Oh, the birth of Creodrone. Yep. That, that's pretty cool. All right. So uh, I was wrong that it wasn't the first, but it was uh, an important one. The founder of Creodrone. That was a cool story. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, obviously, the first Stargates would have been in near the New Eden system because that's when where they came through the Eve Gate. Um, the first modern built Stargate was built by, I believe, the Amar. Um, and then the Galente and the Caldari worked together to build their first Stargate. Um, and that uh, was about 70 years after the unification of Galente and Caldari. And uh, that event was why they renamed their system Luminaire. Oh, cool. Well, anyway, lots more of that from Ashtarothi, uh over. We're going to get into that, right? Because we're going to be doing a lot more of that kind of stuff uh, later on on Talking in Stations as you roll out some new material. Yes, absolutely. All right. Um, I want to say thanks very much, Tiger, for uh, the subscription there. If you guys have uh, Primes, uh, Prime subscriptions or something, it's free to you. If you could subscribe, that would be great. We'd appreciate that. Uh, we have a good following already, but um, there's definitely a lot of viewers that haven't subscribed to the channel. It would be great if you did. If you can't, that's okay. But if you can, great. Uh, okay, so let's move on. Let's talk about a little bit of war, and then we'll talk about industry changes. I'll just... Uh, Put something up on screen right now that has, um, it's just a little update. You know, we showed you this before. I'll just, oops, let me just uh, make it as big as possible there. Okay. So we've seen this before and uh, it's an update. This is like kind of a progress chart. It's almost like a whiteboard or Pappy as they mark off systems that they are taking on and uh, marking off. So yesterday we saw a lot of activity here in 8RQ. I can't put this together for some reason. 8RQJ, 8RQJ. I should ask people from TNT. That was their home. Um, so it said one Keepstar, one Fortazar, one Tatara, and those are in red. So I think those are dead. And there's still um, one S and one and five A's. I think these are Arcan Arcanars. And what's the S? Sotios? Thank you. Sotio. So there's still a couple things, actually, six things left in that. And it's Athenor. What'd I call it? Arcanor's a rock. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I could have said, all right, what is it? There's no Arcanor what, anymore. What's the Batman prism? Prison. Uh, Archon? Arkham? Or, Arkham. Yeah, I should have said Arkham. Okay, so back to. Man, I'm pretty proud of myself. I'm dyslexic and I managed to navigate through all of that. Back to tongue twisters. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so you can see the uh, Helm's Deep. Oh, A is Asbel. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so that's what needs to be done there. Those are the engineering complexes. So here's, for people who don't understand all these different names of structures like me, uh, the uh, citadels have been essentially destroyed, it looks like. There's still engineering complexes to destroy because this area was was very, very good at building a lot of stuff in the past few years. Right, so... so you're seeing a lot of S's and a lot of A's. Those are engineering complexes, as you said. So this would be a manufacturing yard, not a, not a resource, uh, you know, extraction area. So uh, the Sodios, uh, sorry, the Asbels are the large uh, manufacturing structures. So those can manufacture capitals. Um, and then the Sodio is the extra large, and that can manufacture super capitals. Okay. Um. 
Yeah, so Billy says there in chat that uh, as far as Athenors, there's like 70 in there. So that's a crazy high number. So those aren't counted on this list. There's a ton of those yeah. little structures around. Athenors are medium structures, and those get put on moons usually to, uh, to drill out the goo. So it's important to take those out, but those are not nearly, you know, uh, an Asbel is worth maybe eight or nine Athenors easy, and then a Sodio is worth uh, an order of magnitude above that. Yeah, so let's look around at this. So what you're seeing here is um, uh, the Helm's Deep area in progress. And this was always going to take a long time because there's so many structures in there, as you can see. But they're all, uh, every system looks like, you know, keep start down here, keep start down here, keep start down here, and here, and here. here. I want to correct something. I did mention that, I, I kind of mentioned offhand that that means that it's not in the resource extraction area. That is a good point. Given the fact that there's like 40 to 70 Athenors, this is a resource extraction and manufacturing area. So this is, this is uh, the definition of going to the gut. Yeah. Yeah, this is the... Uh, the industrial underbelly. Anyway, I just ticked off a bunch of keep stars and all these systems. Uh, speaking of keep stars, there's two keep stars in E3OI and those keep stars have been reinforced. So they will, they've begun their process of being attacked and we expect them to be destroyed uh, within a couple days or a few days. Uh, another thing is we looked at the number of keep stars that have died in March and uh, essentially it is 12 keep stars plus one ghost keep star didn't appear on the kill boards. That makes 13 keep stars in March so far. I, I think uh, that was ca that was as of plus yesterday. Plus two stolen. Plus two right? stolen. Wow. I think there at least was right? one stolen. There was one yesterday, but I don't know. I think there's one stolen and then one destroyed during unanchoring, if I remember correctly. No, no, no. This is just days. in March. I'm just talking about March. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, maybe that was pre-mart. I don't know. This has been going on for a while. Right. So as of <laughs> as of yesterday, thirteen keep stars were basically destroyed, and I think one was was stolen or picked up or paid for. I don't know what, but one disappeared. It got shoveled away. So uh, I think that makes yeah. thirteen, maybe even fourteen. The previous record for a month of key, key, uh, keep star destruction was seven, and that was when uh, the Imperium actually glassed tribute. So they took out seven, and in this war, there are so many keep stars and such a big force taking them out that they doubled the previous record at like 13, possibly 14. And they're not done. And we have today and tomorrow. I don't know if anything will come out then, but that's just a lot, a lot of keep stars in one month. Okay, let's take a quick look at the rest. We'll back out here. You can see there's places here with blue X's that are basically done. Those are considered uh, cleaned or uh, taken out. Or if you if you take the uh, Goon Swarm B analogy, fumigated or something, if you want to be playful. Uh, my brother's a beekeeper, so uh, we don't like that kind of word, but whatever. So yeah, so there's a bunch of stuff Terminated. here. Yeah, pretty much gone. All you see is a Helm's Deep being... Uh, taken down, dismantled, and of course the uh, capital here, 1DQ, and its constellation still intact. And that is a fortress that will need to be uh, breached in the next, uh, I, I think, four months or so. It's uh, we, We've heard a few people from Pappy, other than Billy, talking about how long this war will last. You saw Kenneth on the Think on the Meta show, and he said this this war can last another year. He's He and his... Uh, PL comrades are going to be in it till the end. So 
this is still a long, long way from being done. Uh, the Imperium at this point is uh, watching the demolition of their structures inside of Delve, but they are a long way from being done since they still have their capitals inside of 1DQ. Right. So, so when Nullsec was being rethought of or was being looked at being worked on back in like 2013, 2014, one of the most popular motifs that kept coming up with this concept of farms and fields and the idea that you would have, you know, fields that you harvested from and then castles that you could fortify in, but that these weren't necessarily the same places. And so that way these fields could be raised by barbarians that came and, you know, you would contract in if you needed to. Um, and I, I really feel like this is the most real manifestation of that concept that we have that we could possibly have hoped for. What we see is Imperium holding up in their castle during a siege while the barbarians from the we're going to go with south, I don't north, east, west, I don't even remember where they're from anymore, uh, are are swooping through and just burning all their cattle and oh. you know, taking all their women and, and stealing all their grain. Lay off the cattle. We're just kidding. What? <laughs> I'm just kidding. And the women. How did? Wait, I didn't. I didn't know that we we had a thing of it against talking about barbarian slaughtering cattle. That's that's where we draw the line. That's where All we right. draw the line. <laughs> it's 2021. What the cow ever used do to you? it? Yeah, nothing. I, I I didn't say it was the right thing to do. <laughs> yeah, I like that man, that metaphor though of siege the castle and uh, you know it taking a long time and and them having to set up a whole camp outside the castle walls to take it down. Um, it's been a very interesting war and it is going to continue for a while. We can leave that there. Let's talk about something yeah. else that's changing in this game that is huge. And that is the industrial, in, the industrial building of ships are slated to change in a few weeks and it's going mm -hmm. to get a lot more complicated to build ships. Most of ships. What do you think of the changes? Have you looked them over first of all? Right. Um, okay. So real talk. I have looked at over the broad strokes of it. I've talked to a lot of people about it. Um, I have several people working on it um, because, you know, we, I, I run an industrial organization now, uh, among other things. And so obviously this has been uh, a matter of discussion. I haven't actually sat down and like looked at the spreadsheets and like figured out the numbers in the way that some people have, partially because I sincerely believe that attempting to process what is going to happen under today's standards is a folly, is a fool's errand. Uh, I think it's much more important for us to try to grasp what the goals are and what the, what the way it's going to look and feel and how to maximize it in the new world rather than try to figure out how much more it's going to be cost to cost to build X, number, X kind of ship. Because the problem is, is that all of that can change if the process by which the materials are gained or whatnot change. If anything has been shown in this period of scarcity is that suddenly not having any minerals changes a lot of things. And so if, for instance, they, they, you know, more people become interested in a, a good example is a, is the PI change. Um, 
there's going to be a lot more PI used in basic tech one industry. Well, that does two things. One, it puts an increased demand on PI, which means that it's going to, um, you know, it's going to raise those prices, obviously. But, uh, and, and, and increased prices make it so that more people will want to do PI. But there's actually another piece to this, um, which is that if PI is part of everyday industry, then the beginning player will see more value in picking up PI skills and starting their own small operation of planetary interaction in order to extract some of the stuff passively that they may need for some of their construction. Um, and so what you may actually see is people end up more, more players being encouraged to pick up PI as a pastime, um, not just whether or not it is fun to do or profitable, but it'll be placed in front of newer players as a thing to do. Um, and I think that that's uh, going to be pretty good. I also strongly believe that there, this will likely be part of um, like a PI overhaul, which could potentially make PI, uh, the rate in which we get, we get PI or the ease in which we do PI could significantly change. And this could be anything from some elaborate uh, district-based planetary conquest system that ties into the new shooter that they're building and the IP and all this stuff. And so planetary interaction changes fundamentally in deep, crazy ways into a whole new gameplay style. Or or they could just simplify it completely to turn it into the way it is in Echoes, where literally you just go to each planet and you say, go for another day, go for another day, go for another day, go for another day. And every like four or five days you go and pick it up. And the only hard part is just find the planet that's a, that has the stuff that you want. Um, and it's more or less a, a daily login reward. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if they went in either of those directions, they could potentially significantly change the availability of PI and more importantly, the, the feeling of accessibility of PI to, to players. Um, so I think that there's a lot to process when it comes to this stuff. Um, I think that overall the increased complexity, um, ends up actually creating paths for players. Um, right now tech one industry is, let's be frank, bad, right? Like you're not saving anyone from like the best gameplay by making it so that tech one industry is more complex. Uh, the new player, first of all, a new player is building very simple stuff. They're not building battleships for the, for, for the record. I tweeted this, you know, a battleship takes 2.3 billion isk to buy the BPO and the research. It's like 1.6 for the BPO and then like three, two to 300 for each, uh, the, the Emmy and the TE. Um, and then it, it takes 200 days on top of that. And that's if you have like a good structure and stuff. And so, um, it, you know, new players are going to be focusing but, on, but somebody basic could buy stuff, a copy like of, ammo, but somebody could buy a copy of a blueprint, but I get your point. Right. But here's the but thing. If it, but, but if they're buying a copy of a blueprint, then they've already hit a complexity level that's higher than buying the remaining mats off of the market. Good point, but they could be given the copy. But that's a very good point, yeah, using the contract. I will say this, and we talked about this earlier, 
that a player coming in that builds a little bit of ammo has all the information he needs to build a battleship. And that just seems way wrong. Right. Like, right? That's a yeah, very, right flat, now the only difference... very flat learning curve for industry uh, right now. So they needed to change that complexity. Right. Right now, the only difference between building a battleship BPO or a blueprint and a frigate blueprint is the amount of minerals. It's no more complex. It's no more. And, and the, the expense, as I just mentioned, of the BPO, that is that expense of the BPO is the main like divider of a battleship builder versus a frigate builder. Um, what this does is it makes it so that now there kind of are these paths to go on. So you can think about, well, I want to build this kind of thing. And and there's all these different kinds of niches, right? So one of the biggest problems that an industrialist runs into is what do I even build, right? Like for two years, we've tried to have an industrial program and we have a very successful T2 industrial program, but our T1 industrial program is impossible to get off the ground because basically anytime that you have a person that knows what needs to get built in T1 industry, generally speaking, an average industrialist will just have enough lines to just build it and doesn't need to ask yeah. anyone else to do it because it's really only just a question of lines yeah. at that point. Um, and so like the idea of having this, this, this thing where like you work to identify what it is that you want to build and then you get to, and then you, you augment yourself enough to build it and then you're able to build it and do it well. Um, that doesn't exist in T1 industry at all. And it's what makes T2 industry really, really good. Uh, T2 industry is very volatile. It's very based on the markets and de demands and the T2 materials. There's, there's a lot that makes the T2 market industry or industry system a lot more interesting to figure out and profitable to figure out. Um, and I think that adding these gradations, um, taking that giant open field and, and, you know, putting some fences in actually creates paths that allows players to focus on, to gain more focuses. Um, well, there's something interesting you just brought up. The complexity of T2 makes it more expensive, not only the ingredients, but actually the complexity. And I wonder if adding complexity to all the T1 stuff they're adding it to and the faction stuff they're adding to really kind of drives down the T2 premium for being built. I don't think so, but that's an interesting question we haven't thought about. Now everything's it's possible, complex. although... Although most of the complexity um, of the low end changes is just the addition of a couple other materials, right. um, not skills, which is so. no more complex than like Triglavians or something like that. T two industry is complex because there's an entire invention process, and each each individual invention requires okay. certain skills. Yeah. So if you want to just start inventing a different kind of T2 item, you actually have to have a different set of skills to start inventing it. Then you have to have a different set of moon goo to do a different set of reactions in order to get the and stuff all, to do it. So anytime tiers, we pick up a new T2, it those, takes us about a month as an organization to yeah. pick up a new T2 item. And Sorry. all those tiers, this is a very good point you make, have profit loss because you're, you're taking a chance that your experiment will fail, the invention will fail, so you lose money on that, usually it's like 50%. So you're already, uh, when you're inventing, you're already using resources and you're losing half of them and therefore your costs are increasing and that may keep T2 uh, expensive. I don't know about the profit margin. I think that'll still stay there too, but 
um, you have to have right. capital, well, in other words, to like do T2. Well, and this is the important thing is that the profit margin comes from the nicheness of it, right? Like, like I said, the reason why it took so long for marauders and why marauders still haven't fully corrected themselves on the market is because it isn't just a matter of somebody deciding that they want that they need to build marauders now. Because you have to, you know, make sure that you have the blueprints. You have to, if you don't have any blueprints invented, you have to go through the invention process. You have to get all the reactions. You know, like it, it takes a long time to recalibrate to a new kind of T2 item. Um, whereas a T1 item, literally, you got the blueprint, you now build that item too. You know, like th that's literally it. So um, what this does is it makes it so that if someone, there's less likelihood that someone's going to just be covering a large swath of the market without putting any effort into it that. Um, and therefore, there's going to be more potential niche opportunities for somebody to find uh, like, oh, it turns out that there aren't any faction module builders in or whatever. There's not, you know, one of them, one of the new niches mm -hmm. uh, uh, selling in Dodixi or selling in Amar or whatever. Right. So um, that will allow a new player mm -hmm. a direction to go that isn't T2 industry, because that's the problem. Well, T1 uh, industry is not off the ground and T2 industry is rocketing through space. There is nowhere in between. Well, let's talk about that. And this will be the last point on this. But is this good or bad for new players? They talk about the little guy. I don't know if that's, we're equating two things. Like the little guy is one thing. A new player is another thing. But sometimes they overlap. What do you think about um, those two uh, use, use cases? The new player that's coming into the game, is this good or bad for him? And the little guy that doesn't have big industry uh, capability? I think it is, for the new guy, a great thing because no one is better at adapting than those who don't have to learn or uh, unlearn the old systems. The new people that come in will just understand that they need to get this other stuff too, and they will never even realize that it was ever different until someone tells them otherwise. What I do fear for is the little guy industrialist that has been doing some, like, single-handedly, you know, some workhorse that is hero supplying an entire market for their corporation, basically by building everything that they need, that person needs to get some help. And by that, I mean like other people <laughs> to help him build stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's actually, I think a lot of the people who are complaining that I've seen, and I don't mean that in a bad way. There are people who are raising a fuss for a reason. They're in pain. They're looking at this saying, you've just made my life so hard. I can't do what I did before. I can't build what I used to build before. How am I supposed to supply the guys that are going pew, pew, pew all over the place? Almost no industrialist that I know of actually harvests all of the things that they use uh, to build. Almost everybody either imports something or gets it from the market or something like that, at least some component of it. Um, and so in that way... I don't think it changes that much. Um, mm. I think that uh, to the, the people that are mostly concerned about this, I've seen is the people that are afraid of the cost change. Um, and ISK is relative. We'll, we'll have to see how things go. The biggest concerns I've seen is just how much everything is going to increase in cost because of this stuff. And, uh, 
on the one hand, maybe that is an okay thing for various reasons. Um, And on the other hand... Well, pass your costs on to the consumer, right? Right. Well, that's my point, is that the people that are actually voicing concern are actually consumers, not industrialists. Is that right? I I usually hear... Maybe that's true. The people I Well, that's what I said. The two group, the yeah. two people, the the person that's like trying to like be the industrialist for like a large null group and therefore just needing to get throughput and every amount of bullshit in the way of that is just another thing that they have to deal with and they and they they just want to get their job done. Mm-hmm. Um those guys are that that's the person that I'm saying now probably could use some more help. Um because it's it's going to be more complicated, but I mean, people are going to figure it out. And that's the thing is, is that it's just, it's going to become a different solved problem. All right. Question. Um, I'm not too afraid of it. All right. Question. Uh, Volomir says, how is this not a plex grab by CCP? He has no other, he has a hard time seeing it otherwise. And he's pretty upset about it. I don't. Uh, so the value of plex is relative. So I'm not. Plex like, has actually gone so, down in price, but I think what he's saying is this is a cash grab by CCP. That's the way he sees it. Right. Well, okay. So, so the, the fleet changes when suddenly there's two new skills and there's no way to have had those skills already unless you already had unallocated SP besides injecting. That wasn't cool. Uh, this is shifting the way that the economics of EVE works. So, um, by that same notion, the people who are, you know, building up the, the primary resources, they get more value for their work because, um, of, of increased demand or whatnot. Like they're with these increased costs, there are naturally built in increased ways to make money too. The other thing is, is that the period of scarcity is over guys. So yeah, you're looking. For as your I carrots. mentioned earlier, <laughs> this change is not um, this this change is not in an isolation box, right? There will be other changes involved in this, um, and you've already I've already seen them increase bounty rates. I think twice um, since uh, since the whatever the scarcity has ended. Um, little bits like changing things like the, uh, the index, uh, uh, multiplier by like, uh, the ratting multiplier effects and stuff like that. And then adding additional anoms and stuff like that. So they're, they're starting the process. So it is very likely that when we go forward, we will be interpreting these new values with a new context, um, which is why I'm very reluctant to worry about the actual like price of things because i believe that there will be just be a new economy yeah a couple things uh one going back to valamiri as a follow-up he says this will create the need to use plex to buy more accounts to make up for the shortcomings of labor and um i i think that might be a naive way of looking at it because uh, what this is really taxing is man hours, pretty much, right? Like you have more things to do. Uh, yes, you have to, um, or you could just buy stuff off the market. Then it doesn't increase your man hours. It'll just increase your actual cost. But I don't see how this is a money grab. Like I haven't figured out how this goes towards um, buying a bunch of the, plex. 
I think that the idea is is that now that everything is going to, if if dreads cost three times as much, that just the assumption is is that that's forcing players to then buy plex to then get the dreads. But hmm. even in that yeah. case, the that's why I said that the value of plex is relative, and therefore someone still has to earn that isk, um, which makes a very interesting feedback loop and so i'm i don't know exactly how it's going to work out but eve's economy is such that it's designed to chew through this kind of problem um i just don't see really excited about that i just don't see it as a cash grab it's almost a much needed um a thickening a thickening of industrial processes that uh, can create more gameplay and more niche gameplay for people to distinguish themselves in. So I see it as a way of spreading the wealth. Like a person can't be a PVPer and a logistics pilot in their 200 man alliance and also build everything. Like if that was yeah. your gameplay before, you're out of luck because that was never quite fair. That means people who wanted to be industrialists and wanted to focus on that had to compete uh, with one guy and a ton of alts. And so really... If CCP is dissuading you from doing that kind of all-in-one vertical shop, that's good for other people's job prospects. Gives them a career. They become and your to supplier. be clear, we actually they didn't add any any new hoops per se. Uh, things got additional PI requirements and things got additional reaction requirements. But reactions are already basically baked into industry already. It's just basically not used by anybody unless you're making drugs. So all they did was they took that functionality and they tied it in as a subcomponent that makes it function very similar to the way that like cap parts function as a as a stopgap for um, for capital production, right? Like it doesn't so so like. It doesn't change things that much. And that's why I said, like, to a new bro, it doesn't change anything. And to that note, I, I point to uh, Eve Echoes. In Eve Echoes, ships have required PI in them since day one to manufacture them. And no one even thinks about it. Every ship, every module that you build has a PI component and a mineral component. And no one even thinks about it. It just makes PI a thing that people want to do. Yeah. Um, whereas in Eve, we have PI built products and we have uh, mineral built products. And there's a few that have some of both, but really, you know, there are certain sinks for that material. And what CCP is trying to do by doing this is weave together those things. So it's not that you need to do more, it's that you need to source more, which gives other oh, you, people jobs. Uh, and now I need to step back and, and comment on a few things. First of all, Nick pointed out that uh, reactions are required for T2 production. That's a good point. Um, but a, a lot of T2 people will purchase the, the stuff post-reactions. Um, also, uh, I mentioned that the period of scarcity is over, and there's a lot of people arguing with me about that point. <laughs> what I meant by like that... No! Yeah. Um, so CCP cut it and cut it and cut it to a baseline and then they said that that is over and so now we're in the period of regrowth but it is slow so you know it's not a forest it's a scorched earth with little buds coming up um but i'm like hey look there's like flowers and stuff that's kind of but cool. i think they're completely so that's what i mean by scarcity but they're completely over. different plants if people want to see the forest regrow in other words you get the uh the faucets of income that you had before that's not going to happen I don't think scarcity will ever go away. What you're looking at is the new 
the new normal, right? The, the, the idea that things are interdependent is the new normal. There won't be a way for you to do everything in the game unless you're really dedicated and that will be rewarded. But you're going to lose your mind trying to keep up doing what, you know, all the flat stuff you used to do before. So I think scarcity changes are not necessarily over. There's still a dynamic component coming. But if you're waiting for carrots, you're not going to get carrots. You're going to get a bag of mixed vegetables. There's different things coming. Some you will like, some you won't like, but it's a diverse ecosystem that they're building. And that's got to be clear by now. They're not going to just put rewards back in the, in the game. The two big examples about this is, as I mentioned, the dynamic bounty system that now allows systems to get significantly higher bounty rewards um, if you hunt for them correctly. And um, the new or anomalies or increasing the spawn rate of or anomalies in low second high sec or low second null sec. And yes, I get it. The sites are actually definitely not enough. But my point is, is that by those, those are the kind of levers that they can make dynamic. And therefore, um, they will continue to push on those yeah. as they build up their, their, those repertoire. And, those and events, which we will talk about right after we do this little commercial break so we can take a breather. Yay! Hold on. Oh, I'll just take a quick breather. I think the people who are subscribed can still see us, but I just wanted to give us a, a, a moment to like transition. And I'm just going to introduce you and then let you go. Is that cool? Yeah. All right. Uh, we might have taken that a bit long. I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have contributed. I wanted to just get your point of view, and then I got it's, all inspired. So, no, it was a good conversation. I think. Yeah. Oh, they're saying no commercial. We might as well jump back to it. <laughs> <laughs> somebody, oh, ad blockers! Somebody, awesome. Oh, ad blockers! What? Yeah, that'll, that'll do. I'm, it. I'm supposed to be able to put up a curtain so I can, like, you know, re-put on makeup and stuff. Like, what is this? Stuff? Well, just all put right. up a different OBS scene. Ten okay. seconds. We'll Hi, just, guys. Just we'll just uh, run it. Okay. Hey, no commercials, then subscribe. <laughs> How's that? All right, here we go. Five seconds. Okay, welcome back to Talking in Stations. We're here with Ash Dorothy, who's going to take us through The Hunt and more. Yeah, so The Hunt is live. Uh, this one actually hit me by surprise, even though I knew it was kind of going to be at this time. I seem to lose track of things like the day or two before it's going to come out. But either way, uh, The Hunt is the Easter event in EVE Online, it is hosted by the Garistas, which are the Kaldari pirates. They, uh, of course, their their icon is the skull with the bunny ears. So uh, we jokingly call this the Garistas bunny. Uh, the hunt has two major components and then a new minor component or whatever. Uh, the, the first phase is what I call the key finding phase, where there are these mysterious capsules that are found throughout all of space. They can be at any planet, any uh, moon. Um, and I think they can be at Stargates and a couple of other like places. Um, in general, you can you will you you find them by descanning them or probing them. Although it was pointed out to me that because they're capsules, their signature is really small, so it's actually hard to get a full lock on the capsules. But they are. It is still handy to help you, like, if you do a broad spectrum scan of the whole system, it'll allow you to find at least what, what planet cluster that they're on. And then you can switch to an overview with, like, uh, moons on it 
So that way you can use your five degree D scan to hunt for these capsules. It's it's really kind of cool that this event highlights, drives home and forces players to uh, learn how the directional scan works and use it to to find these. But once you find the capsule, they're relatively easy to kill. They you pop them and then inside is a key and um, usually like a corpse, uh, a D&D informant. Um, and that key is used in both the combat site and the new hacking site. So once you've collected one of these keys, you can go to the, uh, you, you can find either a combat site, which is just a normal anomaly, or you can find the hacking sites, which have to be scanned down. The combat sites have two different tiers of difficulty. The, the normal tier is all throughout known space, and the harder tier, the Huntmaster tier, is in only Kaldari, uh, Losek, and Venal, uh, which is, of course, uh, Garista's home uh, what uh, region. Um, so the new data sites also take one of the keys to get inside. Um, and then inside, uh, the person, I haven't actually ran any yet, but uh, somebody said that it was like on average like 5 million. So okay for a data site, but not like the biggest loot. Uh, however, there can certainly be jackpots both in the data sites and also in the combat sites. The main loot um, is going to be like, it, if it holds true with the previous two events, you're going to expect about 40 to 50% of your normal loot is going to come from just straight up overseer's effect, effects, which are a... Um, a commodity, which means there are NPC buy orders at uh, basically every Concord or DED station uh, for these overseer effects. So they don't get impacted by the fact that the event creates a whole bunch of these. The NPCs just buy them all. So it's just basically raw isk that you just have to bring to, to town to turn in. Um, so that's a whole bunch of the value, which makes these sites worthwhile. But then you can also get uh, gecko blueprints for the super cool gecko uh, heavy drones, Garissa's heavy drones. You can also get the uh, Garissa's implants, which should be the, um, the, I think that you can do the Valam. I'm not sure. I haven't gotten confirmation if you can get the Valamir this year. Um, but it should also be the Hydra. I think it's the Hydra implants. Um, and the other Garissa's implants can drop, uh, during this site or during this, uh, event. Now, as with the other events, there's usually something pretty cool that's given to everyone during that time um, that aren't interested in the event itself. And for the hunt, that is the fact that capsules will drop their implants as if it was normal uh, uh, fitting during this period of time. So I think it's until the 13th, if you uh, are potted or if you pod someone, there is a 50% chance per implant in the in the pod for them to drop. So if you pod somebody, make sure to check their rec. Um, and then in addition to that, uh, if you do do the sites, there is now a, uh, just like the last two events, there is tasks. Um, now there, Right now there is three different tasks that you can do at a time, which is basically just the two different sites and killing pods. So it's the three different things that you can do. So unlike the last event where like you had to know which event, which task you're supposed to be doing at any given time, this basically just has the three different tasks that you do. And as you do them, you just get points. Um, uh, at least I believe so. Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, um, 
But either way, once again, the track leads down to uh, Hunter or Skins. It's Hunter Quiver Skins for Navy ships. Um, probably Navy ships because those were the ships that didn't get the skins the f- the last time. Um, because we've seen a lot of Navy sh- uh, ships get skins during these, this event cycle. Um, which also means that it's very likely that these skins, just like the previous ones, this may be the only way to get these skins. And we still don't know whether or not they will cycle to different skins next year. So this may be the only way to get these skins at all uh, for your character is by running this event um, and possibly only this year. So it's something to keep in mind. Uh, a couple other things. One big thing that I forgot to note, which is that the combat sites themselves are locked to T1 and T2 destroyers and smaller. Um, and in general, uh, it, it, last year, assault frigates ended up doing extremely well, um, uh, performed extremely well in these sites. Um, Let's see. Also, there is an Abyss uh, PvP event on the 9th, uh, which is going to be basic. I'm, I'm expecting Tech 1 Destroyers um, with a 10% thermal and kinetic missile buff. Uh, so a lot going on for the hunt. There's some other things going on, some sales and stuff, but we'll talk about that later on in the show. Awesome. Okay. Um... I, think, I think that covers it all. Yeah, that's a lot. It's pretty dense. Did you notice, by the way? I will say, uh, to those of you who are in the Caldari-Galente war zone, uh, especially Galente-Caldari faction warfare people, shout out to my Aderon folks. uh, Your war zone, like, there's so much money there right now. Get it, get it, get some frigates, get some destroyers, go out there, run these sites, make some money. Uh, Oh, there is one other big point which is that the bug that existed still kind of exists or still exists. So if you have multiple keys, when you activate the gate, all of the keys will be consumed. So if you have a a bunch of keys, distribute them through your group. That's yeah. There's no T3 destroyers. That's a horrible bug, isn't it? It, it, yes. But I mean, it's the, it's not like the keys are hard to find. I mean, these capsules are all over the place. Okay. Um, did you tell people how to get involved with this? How do they find the hunt? How do they participate? Uh, well, uh, it shows up in the agency and uh, it, like a splash screen shows up with basic information as soon as you come in. In the agency, you can find the track with all the information. Um, if you don't see it in the top left of your screen, you, you can. there should be a little, uh, the charm, you can click on it to show um, the event, inf- uh, you know, so that way you can see when your tasks get completed. Um, as I said, it's a T1, it, it's a destroyer down setup. So uh, pretty much good tech one destroyers can can do at least the basic site. And if you get some friends, it can be a lot of fun. I know last year I did several roams with CCP devs and with other people uh, during this time, uh, just because it was so much fun to grab like five or six guys in anything from tech one uh destroyers to assault frigates to you know command destroyers whatever and just roam around and uh you know hunt these sites right uh, uh the vengeance gentleman gamer posted a video i believe he used the vengeance specifically um and i think somebody else mentioned that they literally just used their abyssal retribution and was fine 
You do want to open, uh, that's a good point. Uh, you do want to open up your overview settings and ensure that irregular capsules are on your overview. Um, the other way you can do this is if you are descanning, you can set your, your filter for descan to everything. So that way you see them no matter what. And then when you get on grid with them, you can always, uh, if you have show all brackets turned on, you'll still see them in, uh, on your screen. And then you can right click them in space and add them to your overview. But um, in general, event rats, event things are the irregulars. So if you just go through and just check all of the irregulars, those will be event rats. That's a good tip. Do you think this will be as lucrative as the other ones? We did look at the monthly economic report and we saw the blips as people were um, making money off the winter nexus. And then again, the guardian. Yeah. Gala. Yeah. Well, the fact that they now drop this overseer effect, which just basically gets tracked as a commodity makes it way easier to see uh, the impact of these kinds of things. Uh, whereas before this, it was basically like the new implant was dropping or something. So it was like, it'd be really high and then crash. And then, you know, like it would be hard necessarily to get the ISK out of it. Now it's easy to get ISK out of it and it's easy to track it. Um, if it's anywhere close to what it was before, it's going to be great ISK, especially, um, as I said, if you just find a team of like three to three to six people or whatever, like go as a group, because these, this AI specifically, uh, generally, is designed to go soft on groups for two key reasons. One, well, they split aggro is the short of it. Um, and that means that no one of you gets focus fired. But it also, interestingly enough, means that it's easier to use drones because if you've ever noticed that some people, especially in event sites, get their drones attacked all the time and some people never see their drones get dropped or killed, it usually is because the people who don't get their drones attacked are with a group because if there's a secondary player that is also generating threat, then they become a, a good target for the secondary, uh, you know, vectors for the aggro swaps or, you know, however the AI works. But if there's no one to swap to, they kill your drones. Hmm. It is also worth noting that these things are significantly nastier than what you would expect of a rat of that same type treat them more like players than rats they scram they uh they i think they newt i don't remember what all ewar these specific rats do um i heard that em is the correct damage type to do against them um that actually might yeah um and oh oh yeah the other big key to these guys is that Ewar works against these guys like they were players. So you can, oh, they do newt. So you can newt them. You can um, jam them. Oh, they newt ECM and point. That's nasty. Um, <laughs> you know, you can, you can do anything that you normally do to normal players. It will work on them the way that you would expect it to um, with some differences. Like if you newt them out, their secondary effects, they'll still be able to fire, but their, their secondary effects, their webs, their newts and stuff. And there, any sort of active tank will be shut off. Um, also, most likely, uh, kiting is going to be a bad idea because the these rats uh, generally, at least some of them, will be able to do repositioning, so they'll be able to warp and get on top of you. Okay. Uh, anything else on this? 
Uh, well, I mean, we're getting some, I'm just reading. Good. There are some people that are uh, throwing in some extra stuff. Okay. Answer um, questions. Well, no, they're, they're actually just giving information about, uh, because there's people that are seeing stuff. So, uh, Remy main says 32 hit points per second, 50% resist occurrence to the board should be a good target, uh, to be able to do them. So basically, uh, 60% or 60 to 70 HPS or EHPS, uh, is your target for a tank. Um, and, and it is, it is designed for smaller ships. So it's designed to be agile. And I know that inner room is kind of a, is the outer room doesn't have that big of a threat. Um, the bigger threat is players coming in while you're dealing with the swarm or like the, the rats, the inside is much simpler and has the DPS check basically. And remember everybody, I believe every single person that wants to go into the inside room has to use the key so that's what i was saying like ultimately what we generally had was like somebody would have collected some keys and then we just like distribute them um and like drop them and trade them between us to make sure that the correct people were able to do it all right still more stuff coming i think that might be it okay well, if it's not, contact Ashtarothi or hang out in talking in stations and uh, trade information. By the way, if you've looked at our TIS Discord, which you can go to by talkinginstations.com slash Discord, uh, we have some new channels in there. We have a trade and sell channel. So people are putting up their, their items to trade and to buy if they're looking for something. We also have a wormhole channel now for specifically wormhole topics. And that's just amazing how fast that got started. Uh, among other channels, there's a bunch of news feeds in there. If you want to get news while it happens, and if you want to hang out in voice chat, there's always people hanging around. Uh, okay, so right. so what do you want to do next? More news. Okay, more news. Yeah. All right. So uh, today's patch was nothing to talk about. It basically just turned on the hunt. But um, in tandem to that, some people noticed that the launcher had stopped having launcher profiles um so you can actually have multiple launcher profiles and each of those launcher profiles are basically a complete save settings of uh for your um for your character for your account so for instance i have a launcher profile for when i want it to be running on a single screen and then i have a different launcher profile for when i'm running on a dual monitor setup and I have a different launcher profile for when I'm a logistics pilot, right? Because I want uh, different overview settings and different broadcast settings, maybe. Um, or, and then I also have a launcher profile that's basically completely stripped out. Everything's just turned all the way down. And so that way I can like log in all my extra accounts to do my daily check-ins or whatever, right? Well, they removed these um, as part of the new launcher. And people lost their gourd. And so as of today, uh, CCP Aurora first posted on uh, Reddit saying that it would be reverted by tomorrow. And then by the time I had tweeted that three hours ago, she actually corrected me and it was already uh, fixed. So if for some reason you were afraid about that, all you have to do is refresh your launcher, close it, reload, re reopen it, whatever gets you to get a brand new, you know, like get the newest version of the launcher. And you should be able to do your launcher profiles again. Yay! And if you didn't know about launcher profiles, now you know. Um, in Poshvin news, 
So this is kind of odd. Um, when Poshvin formed the Stargates, you can still see the Stargates that they are that they have. Um, and the Stargates are now listed as disrupted Stargates. There's lots of lightning around them. Edencom is cordoned off. And there's this giant crystal that's growing in the center of it. Uh, you can see it in the um, Zenith image imagery or uh, and in the trailer for the Phoenix Quadrant. Uh, both shows how messed up the Stargates were. And while the electrical effects are there and there's still some of the exotic matter kind of flying out the side, it was noticed, I think, yesterday that the giant crystal in the middle has been removed, both on the gates inside and outside of Poshvin. It is unknown at this time whether or not this is a bug or something or an indication that something's happening. Maybe Edencom is attempting to uh, reactivate the gate. We, we don't know, but something has changed. Now then, new hex skins coming. Okay, so, so this is where I, I now go here, and I go control and nine. Boom. <laughs> All right. So uh, one of the original amazing skins that CCP came out with was the Angel Hex skin, right? And, and the first one was the Angel Hex skin for the Macarial. Macarial. I don't know if I have a, Look like yeah. a green Cylon. Yep. I have it. I got it originally for like, I think we, if you bought an entire year sub, you got it for free or something was the first mm -hmm. way to get it. I got it for free. So anyway, uh, it's a super great skin. It's been beloved by a lot of people. Uh, they have since made the angel hex for the entire angel line and also the entire Garistus line. Well, now they have decided to fill this out for the rest of the pirates with, with a twist. So for the blood Raiders and the Garistus, we have the Vampire Hex skin, Ooh. which is red and blacks, black with a teal pulse, which looks amazing on Blood Raider ships and like eh on Garista's ships. Uh, let me pull up the... Here's the Gila, because of course they had to make a skin for the Gila. They can't make a skin without making it for the Gila. Did you know that? It's like contractual. I'm kidding. So, I mean, it looks fine on the uh, the Garistus skins, and it may just be because the Garistus skins are or Garistus ships already have such good skins. But I think it really shines on the uh, on the Blood Raider skins or Blood Raider uh, ships. And then for the Mortis Legion and Sanchez, we now have the Ghost Hex, which actually I think is way cooler. So this oh, is green. With an orange pulse. That's wild. Looks like copper. And so that's for all of the um, all of the uh, the Mortis Legion and Sancha ships. And boy, did Sancha ships need good skins. Good lard. Finally, a decent nightmare skin. Can you step aside a little? Praise bit? the heavens. Oh yeah, hold yeah, on. Put it, Let me actually move this. Or move it. Boom. Yeah. No. I feel like we're on a shopping network. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so all of these skins are have the little diamond on them, so they are going to be uh, purchasable on the next store when whenever they are made. 
whenever they decide to make them available. Um, and then there's a final one, which I find is kind of interesting. This, uh, this skin is for all of the Concord ships. Um, they've been doing a lot of skins that introduces concepts to us. Uh, and this looks like another one. We see a new Concord logo uh, down there, I believe, somewhere down there. Uh, and the skin itself tells us that there's actually a new Concord division that we didn't know about before that has apparently been around for the last 20 years or 15 years uh, called the uh, Department for Enforcement of Restrictions on Artificial Intelligence and Life, known as Derail. Uh, so there are derailers, which are basically Concord uh, agents that hunt for the eagle, illegal use of AI technology. Uh, this is interesting partially because there have been several uh, like hooks with a AI within recent months. Um, obviously, AI is very controversial, especially strong AI is very controversial in New Eden after the Orpheus project led to the rogue drone uh, creation. Now they're not allowed to make ro uh, AI that is that strong anymore. Um, but so you have the Edencom ships that said that their weapon system uses a form of AI that was borderline illegal. And then... There was um, one of the newest things that just came out. I can't remember what it was. Oh, no. Throw, throw me some hints and maybe I can help you dig. I don't know. One of the other little doodads that has come out in the last little bit mentioned the fact that it uh, uses AI. Um, uh, and there's been threats about the illegal usage of AI within uh, Upwell um, and uh, Concord slash Edencom, which has connections potentially to Sancho's nation. Um, or more importantly, of course, the big baddies themselves, uh, the drifters who are, uh, effectively a rogue artificial intelligence that is seeking to destroy all life. So, um, this is another piece of what could be hinting towards what amounts to the shadow war that's going on, um, in the background. And, so I will keep an eye on this skin and what it means for uh, and this new organization, the uh, derail uh, group, which has now been mentioned twice uh, out of nowhere. Can we see that skin one more time on that shuttle? That's a common ship that I fly. It's a pacifier. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yep. So this skin is only now, for a pacifier or is it up the whole chain of... It's Concord all three of the Concord ships. Now, uh, just if I could make a speculation as to what this skin will actually be for, though, the other half of this is, is that like, so a lot of the Eve, like lore or universe of Eve reflects the reality of the situation, right? Like, so that way you can describe something um, both in universe and out of universe the same way. So like, you know, the Triglavians are just a bunch of red triangles that are trying to make you better pilots. The drifters are a bunch of is an is an out of control artificial intelligence that's trying to kill you. These are both true if I'm describing it in game and out of game, right? Um, and CSP really likes that, uh, which I totally lost my point at this point. So it's fine. <laughs> you're, you're, oh, yeah. uh, so the uh, so these this skin in particular, my bet is that this whole focus on derail 
is potentially a reward for bot hunters. That's going to be my guess. Interesting. The CCP is often used illegal artificial intelligence or something along those lines as a hand wave to describe botters. Which makes perfect sense. Scripted gameplay is a type of intelligence. It's an algorithm. Right. Okay. I believe that that was the justification that Concord used when they teleported players to Uli to get slaughtered. <laughs> Uh, all right. What else we got in the news? Oof. All right. Keep on going. Keep on going. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. So two, like, real-life sales stuff. Um, one, if you go to the merch store, which is merch.eveonline.com, which you probably didn't know about because CCP is the worst at telling you about their own stuff. They can't surface um, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you buy anything at the merch store right now, you will also get a full set of the Hostile Takeover skin for uh, the Garistus line of ships uh, for free with that purchase. So cool, if that's for you. Um, this does not, I don't believe that that includes the statues or something like that. This is only from the merch store. So like the, the clothes, the wallets, and you know, drinking glasses and stuff like that. Um, and then the big one is tomorrow, I believe it is, will begin the sale for three months and uh, three months of MCT for 50% off. I want to be very clear about what this offer means because I don't want anybody to be confused. Um, multi multi-character tra uh, training is when you can train on more than one character at a time uh, on a single account. And then a multi-character training certificate is an item that you can buy for Plex and then sell on the market that somebody can then redeem to activate a multi-character multi multi training line on their account for one month. So this gives you three months of uh, added to your game time and three months of multi-character training. It does not give you a certificate. You do not get to sell this on the market. You just get three extra months or three months where you can train on two characters at the same time on your account. The reason why this is important is because an Omega account is just better than an Alpha account and therefore an Omega alt is in some ways better than an alpha uh, alt and so you can spend that three months to get things like pi skills hauling skills uh sino skills whatever you need on your other alts on uh that that are that usually don't get trained on your accounts um because ash ash is super selfish she would never let me pause her skill skill queue and she certainly would never give her skill points to someone else so the only way that the other two accounts get trained on, on my main account is if I get uh, multi-character training. So uh, I'll probably be getting it just because uh, I want to shore up some of the extra uh, skills on, on those two characters. Right, cool. And was there something on Twitter today that was uh, interesting? Uh, there was a couple things on Twitter today that was <laughs> interesting. Hold on. Um, I well, I uh, confirmed launcher the, profile removal is being reverted from CC. Yep. What was that? Yeah, yeah, I talked about that. So, yeah, okay, never mind. so the launcher profile changes. Uh, they we noticed that it was that they got removed. People complained about it. Uh, CCP uh, or somebody put in a ticket. They were told that it was meant to happen. They posted a Reddit post complaining about the fact. It was like, hey, apparently this was intentional. CCP Aurora posts on that Reddit post saying it'll be reverted by tomorrow. I tweet about it four hours ago. 
she tweets back to me like less than 15 minutes later telling me to refresh my launcher. That's the summary of the, the story of the launcher changes. Awesome, Astrovi. Okay. Thanks very much. We have one last thing to show you. It is the complete version of Who Are the Drifters? Uh, that was made yeah. by Astrothy. Tell us about it. Yeah, so we showed this last week and people really, really liked it. Um, so we thought we could show it again today. But I also, I tagged on a new like 30 second opening thing just to put some context into it. And this is, th what you're about to see is actually the version that is being uploaded to talking stations and will be the, the final version, basically. Yeah, I need to get it. It'll take about 30 seconds. Oh, okay, cool. Well, uh, yeah, so I, so this represents uh, a big change for me. I uh, am going to be focusing, or I'm going to be refocusing on EVE a lot more, which is great. Uh, I should be streaming more and also doing these EVE, uh, the videos again are doing more of these kinds of videos. So I, I'm now going to be working with Talking Stations as a producer to create um, higher polished or like pre-edited, pre-scripted uh, content for uh, branded for Talking Stations on our YouTube channel to help build um, uh, the just the amount of resources that we have and hopefully build our audience. Um, we good? Can I stop dis distracting? Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, that's fine. Okay. Uh, uh, is there anything else you wanted to say about this? We're going to have more of this kind of thing. This is jam-packed version of Who Are the Drifters? Uh, but the other ones that you do will uh, be will not be so dense, right? Right. Yeah. No. This is so. So this is designed to be. Uh, a, this is a pretty dense uh, video, for sure. And uh, there will be lots and lots of links for further evaluation, you know, for, to, to learn more about it in, in below, because I believe that the point of these kinds of lore videos should function more as a portal than as just like, and here's the thing. And now you know it like, but it's more like lets you know all of the different things that you can now look into and, and dig deeper into. Um, however, uh, for instance, the next video that we're working on is going to be about fitting, how to fit your ships. So this is much more like very new player focused, rudimentary and all this stuff. This is just this is just background story, man. This is just a cool story. Enjoy. All right. Greetings, fellow Empyreans. I am Astrothy, and I am very excited to be working in conjunction with Talking in Stations to bring you the story of one of the greatest threats to New Eden, the Drifters. We plan to make YouTube videos just like this one to help players of all skill levels understand the game of EVE Online, its universe, and its mechanics. As a first offering, I thought it was only appropriate that I answer the question I am most frequently asked. Who are the Drifters? Enjoy. By 2730 AD, nearly 21,000 years before the modern era, the human race had colonized its home system of soul. Within 5,000 years, humanity had stretched out to consume all resources within the range of their warp drive technology. Near the end of the 8th millennia, a miracle came to the human race in the form of a semi-stable wormhole, which connected them to a previously undiscovered land of prosperity. Within a few short years, the largest colonization effort in human history began as countless souls poured through the Eve Gate and into New Eden. However, the fortunes of mankind took a turn less than a century later in 8061 when the Eve Gate collapsed, cutting off the colonies of New Eden Cluster from Terra. 
The cost was devastating to those remaining. Countless colonies were lost, and the very history of mankind faded into legend. Little is known from this prehistory, but we do know of the existence of three civilizations that held influence in those early days. The Yanyong, masters of gravitonic technology and force field theory, settled in the Detol region in modern-day Galente space, but all records of them end around the year 9000 AD. Unsettlingly, the remains of the Talakan Empire, which mostly are found in the mysterious Anoikis, a series of far-flung star systems accessible in the modern day only through unstable wormholes, seem to have also fallen from power at about this time. Of all of the ancient empires, the only one whom we have met in the modern era are the enigmatic Jovian. Being a relatively primitive civilization compared to their contemporaries, the Jovians survived the Eve Gate collapse by having their entire civilization loaded on immense arcs and shuffled at barely faster than light speeds. The majority of the population remained in suspended animation in a virtual reality environment known as the Construct. Those inside of the Construct used the time dilation of the simulation to rapidly advance their civilization beyond anything imaginable in the physical world. Soon, the limitations of reality were no match for this new civilization. To protect them from corruption and to ensure a tether to reality, a law was established in the early days known as the One Body, One Mind Law, which simply states that for you to have a consciousness within the construct, one must also have a physical body connected to it. This serves two purposes. First, it makes sure that each being inside of the construct was at least once human, but also the construct itself was eventually transformed to use the brains of those connected to it as part of its computational systems. Thus, removing the physical body would disrupt a part of the construct, or even take parts with it. Outside of the construct, the Jovians had gone through three distinct empires. The first collapse occurred when the highly engineered Elders began suppressing the biological experimentation of the other Jovians. When Michael Bohr reunited the Jovians in a second empire, they began performing increasingly bizarre experiments on themselves, causing both the Jovian disease and the formation of the sleeper civilization out of those living in the construct. The Jovian disease is not so much of an actual disease as an engineered defect in Jovian biology that causes melancholy, madness, and death to all Jovians on a long enough timeline. Eventually, the Jovians turned to those who lived inside of the construct looking for answers to the disease, and the only solution was to enter the suspended animation and join them within the construct. The conflict and disorder that came from this era is known only as the Shrouded Days, and no one, not even the remaining Jove, seemed to fully understand what happened in those days. What does seem to be true is that eventually those inside of the construct, now known as Sleepers, fled the Jovians, eventually settling in what we now know as Wormhole Space, or Noikus. The remaining Jovians migrated to modern-day Jove space and continued to struggle against the disease as they monitored the younger empires, now only emerging from the Dark Ages. Eventually, modern politics, in combination with the uncontrollable disease, led the Jovians to retreat further and further from the rest of New Eden. But as one empire falls, another rises. Deep inside of Anoikis, separated from New Eden by unfathomable time and space, a violation of the construct was born. Without the shepherding of those outside of the construct, an entity which violated the One Body, One Mind law appeared within the construct. A small child with black eyes that had never been born and had never had a physical body. This thing was called the Other and was rejected and hated by the sleepers. But this seems to have only fueled its desire to take over and consume. 
and over time more of these defects were made. A little over a decade and a half ago, in the year YC-105, the Empire of Amar was having their own trouble. The Emperor, Hydrian VII, ruler of Amar for three centuries, had died of turret disease on August 28, YC-105. The Amar Empire is ruled by a small handful of noble houses, each with a selected heir to head the house. When the time came, the heirs competed with one another in a process known as the Succession Trials. The winner becomes the new emperor or empress, and the losers must commit suicide in a ritual that is known as the Rite of Shackle Sin. So when the five houses competed in YC-105, Dorian Corazor was chosen and became Emperor Dorian II, but this did not settle the issues within the Empire. Jamil Sorum, the heir to the highly militant Sorum House, was reluctant to give her life in the ancient traditions, and when she lost, conspired with her loyalists on a plan to cheat death. The very flesh of the heirs is seen to be sacred by the Amar, so the idea of cloning a body and mind of Jamil was against Amar scriptures, but this did not stop Jamil's loyal follower Felic Grange from secretly cloning her at the Matriarch's Citadel. These events had not gone unnoticed in Anoikis. The other reached out across the cosmos and discovered the plot to illegally and secretly clone the failed heir to the Amar's throne. When her mind was transported to the Matriarch Citadel, the other hopped on board and stitched itself into her brain. Once there, the other whispered into the heir's mind, teaching her the secrets of ancient technology and revealing the location and function of an incredibly powerful superweapon, which she then used to defeat the Elder Fleet of the Mimitar as they flew above Jamil's birth planet in Sorum Prime. The recent assassination of Dorian II had plunged the Amar into chaos, and Jamil's triumphant return had been deemed a miracle of God. This led to Jamil being crowned the Empress of Amar. After using the weapon, she discarded it to allow it to fall into the hands of the Rogue Drones, a hive that is also likely under control of the other. A Sisters of Eve ship that was doing investigation on the Eve Gate, where the weapon was first found, traced the energy readings to the weapon's location. A Blood Raider group trailed the SOE ship and witnessed them being destroyed by the Rogue Drone Hive. However, the Blood Raiders, probably through the help of the Society of Conscious Thought, or at the very least some Jovians, were able to disable the drones. The Blood Raiders would have acquired the weapon for themselves and brought upon an endless harvest of blood, if not for the Valiant Thuckers. A tribal ship and crew who chose to sacrifice themselves to destroy the weapon rather than to let it fall into the wrong hands. The explosion triggered the Isogen 5 that was being packed inside of Jamil's ship and the hive surrounding it. This cache of Isogen 5 was one of several that was created by the pre-Dark Age empires and stored near certain stars. Isogen 5 itself is a super rare isotope of Isogen that seems to only occur around certain blue stars and have unheard of gravitonic properties. To make matters worse, this cache was quantumly entangled with at least nine other caches which also exploded simultaneously. These explosions poured energy into the local stars, causing massive coronal mass injections, destroying the closest planet near each star. This is known as the Salian Incident, or the Apocrypha Event. In addition to the shattered planets created by the explosions, numerous traversable temporal defects known as wormholes began appearing, leading people to discover temporary shortcuts between distant stars, as well as connecting them to the long-lost Anoikis. Still in partial control of Jamil, the other pushed her to send her scientists into the uncharted space, breaching the sleeper conclaves and extracting the suspended bodies of the sleepers. 
They then use the sleeper implants to make their first immortal foot soldiers, the Templars. Inside of the construct, the other used this chance to imprison rebellious sleepers and to send out copies of the other into the minds of the Templars. Eventually, the dangers of the Templar was discovered, and most were purged. Most. Now partially freed from the construct, the other constructed massive hives and cracked open the sleeper enclaves, using the bodies itself to puppet them in order to control their newly developed warship, the Drifter Battleship. Around this time, something happened that the other didn't expect. The stars we now know as Anoikis were stitched together by the ancient Talokan. They did so by constructing a Dyson Swarm lattice around stars and using the energy to punch holes into reality and traverse them using static gates. One such star, W477 TACP, is located in what is now Jovian space. The explosion from the Isogen 5 caches sent energy through the network, pouring into W477 TACP and damaging the lattice around it. Several years later, in YC-117, W-477 TACP exploded, causing an even larger event blowing open the inner chambers of Anoikis and leading the Drifter forces to pour into known space and began exploring and dismantling the sleeper caches and Jovian observatories that had up until this point been cloaked and observing us for nearly a hundred years. In the modern era, this event is known as the Caroline Star Event. What they want is unclear. They have five wormholes, each named after a kind of fortification. Inside of each is a hive filled with drifter battleships and support cruisers. Highland Tukas warned us of a great invasion that never seemed to have come. However, at the center of each of these hives is a massive vortex of energy surrounding a pile of what may have been fragments taken from the observatories. Additionally, from the records that we have gained from the Triglavians, we have discovered that these drifters have entered into Abyssal Dead Space and disrupted the Triglavian Collective that had been hiding there since the end of the Second Jovian Empire, the very same empire that drove the sleepers off over 2,000 years ago. The Triglavians see the drifters as heirs to the Second Jovian Empire, and while they do not understand their artificial nature fully, they identify them as the ancient enemy Azdaja, or the ancient enemy dragon. Now the drifters are arriving in force in Poshvin, and the Triglavians are warping space-time to gain a foothold into K-Space. This ancient war has spilled out into the modern day as the Precursor Crisis. should just about do it. All right. Yeah. Good job, Ash. That was a fun project. I look I look forward to being able to do more. It's my first it's actually my first video being made with uh, Adobe After Effects, so uh hopefully we'll get more cool stuff like that. Everybody really likes it and uh so I'm definitely motivated to do more. Yeah, that'll be up uh, today, actually. It's uh, getting ready to be uh, put out there. We're going to feature it on uh, youtube.com slash talking in stations. And we'll leave it up there. Make sure to put in some uh, nice comments. And if you have uh, stuff you want to share, do that as well. Astrothy mm -hmm. obviously worked very hard on that. And uh, there'll be more coming too. So something to get excited about. But make sure to follow, you know, follow us on YouTubes. That's right. The YouTubes. And make sure to share that with your... Uh with your buddy the goal of this is that like i get asked that question who are the drifters so much like 
I'm definitely going to keep this in my back pocket to just drop on people so that way I don't have to explain it over and over. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Ash. Thanks for that. Thanks for your video. All the information. Great stuff. It's been nice hanging out with you on Tuesday. We'll see you again Friday. And everybody else, we'll see you back here for more Talking in Stations tomorrow. Have a good day.